last Sunday, uh, we began a new series called Prayer, called Prayer. And what we read last week in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, we read that the disciples of Jesus uh, were on to something. There was a, a request that the disciples made to Jesus. Uh, they asked Jesus, they said, Lord, uh, uh, we don't, they're not, they weren't asking to learn how to heal the sick. They weren't asking or, or requesting to learn how to work miracles. All they requested from Jesus was they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And what I believe the disciples saw and what they experienced was they, 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 they saw the consistency that Jesus had with prayer. But not only did they see the consistency that he had with prayer, but I believe they also saw the results that he had with prayer. And I believe that the disciples uh, made a distinction that, that there's a correlation between prayer and power. Between prayer and power. And I said last week that, that, that maybe for some of us, the reason why we don't uh, uh, experience or see the power of God uh, active in our lives, or maybe we're not experiencing the victory that we want to experience in our walk with Jesus, maybe due to the fact that there's a broken power line. And that broken power line is a prayerless life, a life without prayer. And I said that's beyond just momentary prayers, because I believe that for the most part, many people pray in moments, or they pray at events, or they pray when there's an emergency. But I made a distinction last week that it's about us having a lifestyle of prayer. Not just moments of prayer, but a lifestyle of prayer. And so I gave us just three kind of tools or resources that, that, that can help us uh, uh, develop a, a lifestyle of prayer for this new year. And the first thing I said that we need to do is we need to find a time. We need to find a time. We, we, we plan things and we schedule things that are important to us. And so I believe this morning that we need to schedule time with God. You need to put it on your calendar if you need to. You need to write it in your journal, your calendar, whatever you need to do. Find time with God on a daily basis. Doesn't matter if that's 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Find time with God. And then the second thing we need to develop a lifestyle of prayer is we need to find a place. A place without distraction, preferably a place that, where your phone isn't around, preferably a place where maybe you can get alone, get away from everybody else, uh, a place that, that, that doesn't have distraction, a place where you can just solely focus on prayer, a place that you can solely focus on talking with God. So we have time, we have place, now we need a what? Anybody have the third one? A plan. We need a plan. I am aware that there may be some folks in here that say, man, Chris, I, I really don't know how to pray. I know how to ask for things, but I, but I don't just know how to talk with God. I don't really know how to pray. And the good news is Jesus gives us a plan. Jesus gives us a pattern. And we now know that, as I said last week, as the Lord's Prayer. And as I said last week, the Lord's Prayer is a very popular prayer that, that many of us, if not all of us in this room, could recite. Uh, many people in our country can recite the Lord's Prayer. Many people around the world can probably recite the Lord's Prayer. It is a popular prayer to recite. But, but I want us to understand something this morning. The Lord's Prayer is not just a, a, a recital for us. Because how many of you know you can recite something and not truly understand what it means? You can recite something and not ever have it impact your heart. 
And so I want us to move beyond just reciting the Lord's Prayer, but I want us to come to an understanding of what the Lord's Prayer is. A Bible professor by the name of Kenneth Bailey uh, shares a story that at one time he was invited to speak uh, to a group of young adults uh, to teach a Bible seminar in uh, uh, the Soviet Union. And this was right after there was the fall of the Soviet Union, right after the communism, all that stuff uh, fell. And so there was a freedom to, to preach. There was a freedom to teach the gospel, to talk about Jesus in this country. And so he, he began to speak to these young adults in the seminar. And what he realized or, or understood in the moment was that these young adults were raised as they were children during this communist era of the Soviet Union. So the, the, the government at that time, they were atheists, and so they were pushing atheism. In other words, they were pushing uh, the, the, uh, a truth to them that, that God did not exist. And so there were no churches, there were no Bible studies, there wasn't any of that in the Soviet Union at that time. And so he was curious with one of the young ladies there, he said, who's a Christian young lady, she said, he said, well, how did you come to faith? How did you become a Christian if, as a child, you didn't have these resources? As a child, you didn't have access to a church or to Bible studies. And she said, well, as a child, when we would have funerals, the only thing we were allowed to do was to recite the Lord's Prayer. And she said, as a little girl, I would just recite the Lord's Prayer, say it at a funeral service. And so I went to numerous, numerous funerals as a, as a child, and so I, I became very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. She said, but I didn't understand what it meant. And so she makes this statement about the Lord's Prayer. When the, the Soviet Union collapsed, she says, when, when freedom came at last, she says, I had the opportunity to search their meaning. She's talking about the words of the Lord's Prayer. See, when you are in total darkness, the tiniest point of light is very bright. For me, the Lord's Prayer was a point of light. And by the time I found its meaning, I was a Christian. And so this young lady, through uncovering the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, found Jesus. And my hope is that through our time together for this week and next week, we will uncover the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. That it, it would become bigger than just, us just something that we recite, but it would be something that we understand. Something that we speak from our hearts. Jesus first goes on to say this in Matthew 6, 7. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so the first thing Jesus does here is he tells us, he says, don't, don't think that because of the amount of words you pray that makes your prayers any better. Don't just go on babbling words. And so what that means for us is this, is that long prayers don't always mean they're strong prayers. And in the same way, short prayers don't always mean they're weak prayers. The question we need to ask ourselves is, do we understand, do we believe what we're praying? Or are we just babbling on, thinking that the longer we pray, that that just makes our prayers stronger? 
And so I want us to go through the Lord's Prayer today and next week. I want us to begin to unpack its meaning. And, and my hope is that it would just revolutionize your thinking about the Lord's Prayer next time you read it or the next time you say it. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is Jesus going into the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus giving us the plan or the outline. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The New King James Version adds, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. Now, you probably all could have recited that without even seeing it on the screen. But what I want to do is I just want to begin to unpack what is the Lord saying to us? What, is he, what, is he, what does he want us to see in the Lord's Prayer? Because I believe that the Lord did not give us the Lord's Prayer just as something to recite, but I believe he gave it to us as an outline. He's saying, when you pray, I, I want you to include this in your prayer. You want to know how to pray? Well, make sure you have these, these elements in your prayer. And so we're going to just break those down here over the next few weeks. And so let's go back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. It begins with these four words, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. It's amazing that the first thing that Jesus points out to us in the Lord's Prayer has to deal with relationship. Relationship, our relationship with Father God. And I believe what Jesus wants to communicate to us and what Jesus desires for us is that he desires for us to have confidence in our relationship with him. He desires for us to have confidence in our relationship with God, that we would have confidence in seeing God as Father. But here's the reality of many people's situation. It's hard for you to accept or receive God as Father because the reality is there are some of you in here today and many people in our nation and around the world that have had bad father relationships. And because you've had bad father relationships, for some of you, it's hard to relate to God as father. It's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for you to relate to God as father. But see, our reality is, is that we don't measure our heavenly father by the same standard we measure our earthly fathers to. We're not supposed to do that. Our Father is the ultimate definition of what a father is. Father God is the perfect father. He's the good father. He's the merciful father. He's the gracious father. And so when we look at Father God, we aren't to, to put him as the same standard as we would our earthly fathers. He's in a class all by himself. He's in a class all by himself. And so what Jesus does is right out the gate, he says, our father. And so what he's doing is he's, he's welcoming us into the family of God. He's saying, when you go to God, I want you to go to him as son, as daughter to a father. 
our Father, not just my Father, but your Father, his Father, her Father, our Father. We are the family of God. And he wants us to be confident when we come to God. He wants us to be confident coming to God as Father. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He desires to have, for us to have confidence in our relationship with God. But see, a lot of us don't have that confidence. Because I think there may be some of us who don't maybe understand what it is to be a child of God. I want to say something to you, and, and, and I want you to hear me. I just want you to, to, to walk with me in this because I think it's something we need to really uh, highlight and really need to understand. One of the false statements that I hear often used, and this was a statement I would actually believe many times until I got into the Bible, But how many of you have heard the statement that we're all children of God? Has anybody heard that statement before? Everybody in the world, everybody in the world, we're all God's children. We're all God's sons and daughters. I don't really believe that statement. I don't believe that statement because the Bible tells me otherwise. And I think it's important for us to understand what it is to be a child of God. What makes you a son of God? What makes you a daughter of God? And see, there are many people who recite the Lord's Prayer, and they begin with the statement, Our Father, but they aren't really children of God. So what makes us a child of God? John chapter 1 verse 12 says this. This is referring to Jesus. Yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus gave the right to be a child of God. To all those who received him, have you received Jesus? Do you believe in his name? Have you received and believed that everything Jesus has done for you is true? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, died on the cross for our sin? Do we believe that and do we receive that? Well, when you do that, he gives you the right to be a child of God. But there are those who claim the title as children of God, but they don't believe or receive in Jesus. And so I think it's important to us when we go to our Father God in our time of prayer, do we understand or, or, or get a better grip of our, of our standing as children of God? Do we confidently come before God as a son, as a daughter, that we have, as John 1.12 says, we have received and we do believe in his name. And because of that now, I have a right to be a child of God. And so being a child of God gives us incredible benefits. It gives us access to God. As Pastor Chris mentioned this morning, we have access to God now. We have access as a son or a daughter to a father. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained 
access. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. See, that's why Jesus can say confidently, our Father, because he knows that he's the one that gives you access to the Father. Our Father in heaven. Our Father, I give you access. My question to all of you this morning is, are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? Based off what I just read. And if you are, and if you can confidently say you are a child of God, then you have access. See, my, my, my daughters, aside from my wife, my daughters Sophie and Elena, will have way more access to me than any of you ever will. Because I'm their father. In the same way, your sons or your daughters will have way more access to you than anybody else ever will. Because they're your son and daughter. See, my daughters know that, that in our house, I mean, they, they can come to me and they don't have to be afraid. They know they can just come into the room and just, just run in my arms or, or whatever. They, they know they can do that and there's nothing uncomfortable about it. There's nothing, there's no timidity in it. They're not intimidated by it. They know that. Why? Because I'm their dad. You can't just run in my house and just run in my arms. Don't do it. You can't just run all up in our bedroom and just jump on our bed. No, you don't have that type of access. But a son does. A daughter does. And Jesus is saying, when you, when you come to the Lord in prayer, come to him as a son or daughter. Come, come excited. Don't come intimidated. Why? Because he's our father. Our father. We're brothers and sisters. We are children of God. We've been given access to this relationship. We've been given access to this relationship. And my hope for us this morning is that when we go to the Lord in prayer, that we would come to him with a, 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 the correct view of Father God, a, a, a good view of God being our Father. A healthy view of God being our Father. Don't hold God to the same standard you hold your own earthly father to because God is in a class all by himself. He is perfect. He is great. He is mighty. He is a good father. Let me tell you, let me ask you something. Really, what father do you know would allow his own son to die just to get to know you better? That's what God did. He allowed his son to die just to get to know you, just to be in relationship to you. That's how good our father is. So may we have confidence in our relationship with God. May we have confidence in being a son or a daughter of Father God, our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. So now we started off with relationship and the confidence we have in our relationship. And now we move from relationship now to worship. 
that we may love God and that we may worship his name. Not only is he father, but he is holy. The word hallowed simply means to honor as holy. And the word holy just simply means separate or set apart. And so we need to start seeing God as not like the rest. He's holy. He's set apart. He is different. As I said earlier, he is in a class all by himself. We are to treat God as unique. We are to treat God as the only one deserving of worship. He's my father, yes, but he's also holy. He's also set apart from everybody else. He's unique all by himself. How do we, as sons and daughters, begin to see God as unique, begin to see God as in a class all by himself? How How do we do those things? I was reminded in reading Psalm 103, the psalmist says this, and I think this is something we could all really take heed to. Psalm 103.1 says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our, your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. How is the psalmist able to praise God the way that he does? He doesn't forget his benefits. He reminds himself of the goodness of God. He reminds himself of how awesome God is. He says he forgives all my sins. His mercy. It says that he heals all my diseases. He's a healer. He redeems my life. Man, he's given you victory over the devil. He crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies me with good things. He is a provider. And so when we come to the Lord in prayer, when we come to him as father in a relationship, let's not take away the fact that we also need to worship him in our time of prayer. We also need to worship and acknowledge, God, there's no one like you. And we do that by not forgetting his benefits. We do that by acknowledging how good and how awesome he's already been to you. About two or three years ago, I had started a prayer journal. And I'll be very honest, very, very open with this. I'm not good at journaling. I'm not good at Anybody else with me? I'm just not consistent with journaling. How many of you are good at journaling? You just, you journal, you've been journaling. That's awesome. But I, I'm not consistent with journaling. And so about two or three years ago, uh, someone said, man, Chris, you should really start a prayer journal and begin to, to list out your prayer requests, your prayer needs. And so I started that uh, at that time, and I, I, I was going good for a little while, and then I just stopped with my prayer journal. I stopped carrying it with me, and, and I, I, w- I would leave it in the office, and I just, it was just there. Well, uh, at, at the end of last year, I felt like the Lord said, you need to pick up your prayer journal again. 
So when you go to the place of prayer, take your prayer journal. So I, I picked it up and I started going through it. And so you know how it is whenever you have a journal you bought two or three years ago, you've been to go back and read where you stopped. And so I started to go back through my prayer journal as I began to find my place. And I began to list, read all the list of prayers that I had listed in that journal. And here's what's so beautiful about it. Is as I'm going through the prayer journal, I began to not only see the list of prayers, but I began to go down and say, like, man, God, you answered that one. You answered that one. You answered that one. You came through for me here. You came through for this family here. And I began to go down, and my faith began to be built up. I was like, God, I get it. I know why we need a prayer journal. Because I think far too often we forget your benefits. Far too often we forget when you answer prayer. For some of you, God has answered prayer and you just forgot that he answered it for you. You've already moved on to the next issue, the next problem. But with a prayer journal, at least I can go back and see him like, God, you came through for me in every single one of these events. God, thank you. Stuff that happened last year, two years ago. And I'm like, God, how could I have forgotten how good you've been to me? And when you begin to go through that and you begin to, to, to read those things and to write out how God has answered those prayers, man, your faith gets built up. And what happens is it begins to bring back all the remembrance of God's benefits in your life. You want to know how to see God as holy? You want to know how to worship who God is? Man, begin to recount all his benefits. Begin to recount everything that he's done for you. Because see, I guarantee you a lot of times when we go to the Lord in prayer, many times, maybe not for everybody, but many times, it's because of problems we've got. Many times we go to the Lord in prayer because there's an emergency. Many times we go to the Lord in prayer because we have a need and all, all that kind of stuff. And so what happens is we, we, we take our problems to God. And I've heard this said before, and I'm stealing it, and I don't know who said it. But they said, man, instead of telling God how big your problems are, tell your problems how big your God is. Right? And we'll know how big our God is when we start to recount all his benefits. We'll know how big our God is when we start to recount everything that he's already accomplished for us. Hallowed be your name. God, I worship you. There is truly no one like you. You are unique all by yourself. You are in a class all by yourself. I worship you. And so I hope you're getting this understanding is that when we're going to the Lord in prayer, let's, let's set our heart right. Let's set our position right. God, you're my Father, and I come confidently to you. God, you're awesome. God, you alone are worthy of worship. You are mighty. You are strong. You come through for me. You are so good to me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now we move from relationship, God as Father, being confident in our relationship to him. Relationship then moves to worship. And then we say we worship and we love on him, we worship his name alone, he's worthy of praise. 
And now we move to the next part of our prayer. And now this is a prayer of trust. This is a prayer of trust. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is trust. You are praying God's agenda first. You are praying God's will first. I don't want to be that kid that's always asking all the time. You know how it is? Any, any of you had those kids, your sons or your daughters, that, man, the only time they come to you is when they want something? The only time they want to spend time with you is when they want to ask for something? Like, like I don't want to be that kid when it comes to God. I don't want to be the kid that when I come to God, I'm just asking and I'm asking and I'm asking and I'm asking and I need and I need and I need and I need and I want and I want and I want. Like, like God's a good God and he's a good father and he'll hear our requests. But I don't want to be that kid that the only time I want to spend time with him is when I need something. And so when we start to structure our prayers in, a, in an attitude of trust, we're saying, Lord, what is your agenda? Lord, what is your will for my life? What is your will for this situation? What is your agenda for where I want to go next? As, as Robert said earlier, man, we, we seek first, Matthew 6, the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We seek his agenda, his will first. It's a trust attitude. Not only am I coming to you as a son to a father, not only am I taking the time to worship you, but now I'm saying, Lord, I also trust you. I trust that your will is far greater than my own. I trust that your agenda is far better than I could ever come up with. And so it's important for us to begin to, uh, uh, to get our attitude right when we come to the place of prayer. Do you trust him enough that you would take his will over your own? Do you trust him enough that you would prefer his agenda over yours? We see this in the life of Jesus, one of the greatest examples of a father to a son and a son to a father. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, we, he would make these statements like, man, I only came to do the will of my father. Whatever my father does, I do. I, he, he was very clear and very, very adamant about communicating that truth to us. But I think we see this so, so clear and so vivid in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, just moments before he's about to be arrested, Moments before he's about to be taken, put on trial, falsely accused, eventually to be led to a cross to be humiliated, Jesus is in the garden and he's talking with his father. And Jesus makes this statement in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What is he saying? See, Jesus understood what was about to go down. Jesus knew what he was about to step into would be the hardest thing he would ever experience in his life as a man on earth. He knew what he was about to experience was going to be gruesome, it'll be brutal, it'll be painful. 
He was fully aware of what he was about to experience. And I love this because we see the humanity of Jesus in this moment. He says, Lord, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What is he saying? He said, Lord, if there's another way we can do this, I'm open. If there's any other way, because what I'm about to experience is going to be hard, it's going to be painful, and it's going to be brutal. So God, if, 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 if there's another way this can be done, take this cup from me. But then he goes on to say, yet not my will, but yours be done. God, it's not about what I want. God, ultimately, it's about what you want. And I'll be honest, that's a prayer that is hard to pray at times. See, when we recite the Lord's Prayer and we're saying these things, I don't know if we're fully comprehending or understanding what it is that we're saying. Because what if what you want isn't what God wants for you? Are you okay with that? What if the plans you're setting for yourself for the future, what if you laid out all your plans for 2020 and that wasn't at all what God desires for you for this new year? Are you okay with that? What if that job you've been praying for isn't the job God wants for you? What if that house you're praying for, God is saying, no, not now. Are you willing to say, God, not my will, but yours be done? Are you willing to pray God's agenda over your own? Do we trust him that, that much? Do we trust that our Father knows us better than we know ourselves? Do we trust him? See, it almost feels like Jesus experienced two deaths while he was on the earth. He experienced the death of his own will to that of his father's. And then he experienced his physical death, which was ultimately the will of the father. How many of you here this morning would be saying, you know what? I want to put my own will to death. My agenda, my plans. And God, I trust you enough that your will is far greater than my own. 